The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. A skillful blend of both memoir and local history, Dirty Linen, The Troubles in My Home Place by Martin Doyle offers a glimpse into the ordinary lives of troubles victims, Protestants and Catholics alike. The author's hometown is Tullylish, a rural parish in County Down, and its past is shaped both by the linen industry and by the violence of the troubles. And the book considers the linen mill as a source of work for the community as well as being the site of murder. And that twofold significance for the author speaks volumes about how a rural community is shaped by bloody circumstance. Martin Doyle joins me now. Martin, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Thank you. Tell us about Tullylish, because it's not a place I know. Um, I think that's maybe part of the point. Like, if you think about images of the Troubles, most of them are urban ones. Belfast, Derry, Bloody Sunday, Falls Road, Shankill Road, etc., I'm from a small rural parish, Tullalish, which lies between Lurgan, Portadown and Bambridge, which are towns you might have heard of. They were certainly, you know, towns that were, you know, greatly touched, touched by the Troubles. But my parish of Tullalish, little villages, Guildford, um, Lawrencetown, which is the village where um, I grew up, Bleary, Ballydugan, these are very small places, none of them greater than a, a thousand people. One of the most poignant things that struck me is that one of the stories in the book is about three Protestants who were um, killed in a INLA pub bombing four days before uh, the murder of three Catholics, the O'Dowds, uh, nearby Ballydugan. But if you Google Guildford pub bombing, you get the other word. You, you get, get the other one. Yeah. You get the Guildford pub bombing in England. And it's spelled um, differently. It's spelled differently. Um, but like that to me was kind of like a metaphor for how, you know, the, the, the deaths um, that happen in my part of the world are kind of forgotten, literally erased by a Google mm. search engine. And, you know, what I'm trying to do is to tell the stories from the grassroots, a very victim-centred yeah narrative by talking to the relatives of people who died. And, and you and remarked that there would be a memorial, for example, to hunger strikers, yes. but not a memorial to others that died yes. horrific deaths. For example, um, yes, like I interviewed Mary Casey, who is the, the daughter of a lorry driver um, who died, one of eight people who died in a premature IRA bomb explosion at Newry Customs Post in 1972. This was part of their bombing campaign of customs posts at yes, the time. Yes, which became, you know, quite an issue in, in the terms of Brexit and the protocol and the, the threat of a, of a hard border. And it's very important to say that, you know, Mary Casey talking, like she was warning, not threatening, like she was the victim. She, you know, her father was murdered, was killed violently, horrifically in an IRA bomb that went off prematurely in a customs station. So in no sense was she threatening violence. She was warning of the risk of violence if infrastructure like customs posts were, were put back on the border. But absolutely, um, Mary lives in a little village called Inneskeen, which I'm sure you're familiar with mm. because it's the birthplace of Patrick Kavanagh, who had, had his own dalliance with um, the IRA and the War of Independence, but very much turned his back on it and rejected you know, that, that legacy later in life. Um, but in Mary's home village of Inneskeen, there is a hunger strike memorial at the, the T-junction in the village centre. And yet, you know, she said to me that, you know, nobody, you know, her father has forgotten his death is, you know, again, erased from the narrative. Likewise, in and he ba- was killed effectively by the provisional IRA. Yes. Likewise, in my hometown of my birthplace of, of Banbridge, um, at the top of the town, there is a war memorial to soldiers who died 
British soldiers who died in the First and the Second World War. Next to it, there's a smaller memorial, a kind of little obelisk to members of the security forces who died in the Troubles, UDR men, um, RUC men and so forth. But there's no memorial to Pat Campbell, who was a Catholic shop steward in Down Shoes, the largest employer in the town, a shoe factory. Um, he was shot dead by Robin Jackson, known as the Jackal, who was one of the most notorious loyalist was killers he involved of the, in the Miami show band. He was also massacre. involved in the Miami Showband massacre. He was also involved in the Dublin and Monaghan bombings. He was also, at the time that he murdered Pat Campbell, his first victim, he was a serving member of the Ulster Defence Regiment, the, the local... And he has dozens of deaths to his name. Yeah, like, to me, I, I liken him to the Yorkshire Ripper, um, Peter Sutcliffe, who, you know, I think he was born two years before Sutcliffe, um, and possibly die two years before him as well and, you know, kill far more people. And I make the point that Sutcliffe got away with it for years but with his murders because the people that he killed were by and large sex workers and therefore, you know, were, you know, considered lesser in some way by um, the Yorkshire police, the South Yorkshire police who were investigating those murders. And, you know, the, the victims of Robin Jackson, who were they? they were Catholics and therefore they were considered lesser, in my opinion, by the security forces. To get a sense of uh, the community itself and how divided it was, uh, you know, as we saw, uh, as the troubles evolved, but it, and, and there had been incidents over the years of, of people being killed, you know, a major being killed, uh, various uh, other atrocities, People did get on with each other and work with each other in the linen mills, for example. Absolutely. Like, you know, what, the point that I try to make is that, you know, whereas maybe in urban areas, people sort of lived seg- segregated lives. In my part of the world, Catholics and Protestants li- lived and worked side by side. And there are many friendships in the book, um, you know, very touching moments of friendship, um, which, you know, show the, the bonds of the community. Um that said, there, you know there were obviously you know great moments of division in in the in the, the locality. Like the book is called Dirty Linen because it's kind of like you know airing your dirty linen in public, which is something you're not supposed to do. Yeah. But I think sometimes it's important to kind of you know let's tell the truth first and let's work through that, and then you know absolutely it's it's with the end purpose of reconciliation. But I think honesty honesty first, and then build on. My grandfather, um, he was put out of work in a bleach green um, part of the linen industry nearby in 1920 after um, a man from the linen mill was shot dead. It was just an armed robbery, but it was perceived as part of maybe the IRA's War of Independence. Every Catholic had to either sign a denunciation of Sinn Féin or they were expelled from the workplace. So my my fa- my grandfather had to go back to the family farm in Restrever. His sister, who also worked there, she emigrated to America and they never saw each other again. Um, and I link that to the murder of Pat Feeney, who was a Catholic from my village, who was shot dead working as a night watchman in Donaclone, where Robin Jackson lived. Um, and he'd been set up by a colleague. He was set up by a colleague who said, good night to him on the way past, I'll see you tomorrow, knowing that, you know, he, some of members of the UVF were coming back later that night to shoot Pat dead. The um, kind of... Uh, ambience you lived in. I mean, uh, side people could grow up side by side and be friends to a point, but there was this notion of uppity Catholics. If you tried to better yourself, and some of them did, and, mm-hmm. and did thrive. I wrote a piece um, 
So uh, last year in the Irish Times, January 2022, about the O'Dowds. So I'd written a piece previously about growing up in the North during the Troubles and some of the sectarian experience the, the, the I had. The O'Dowds were the milk delivery family. Yes, so Barney O'Dowd was our milkman. Our rocking horse was called Barney, as my sister corrected me, her rocking horse. Um, so Barney delivered our milk. So he stood on our doorstep every day. And on a Saturday when he was collecting the money, he used to have this kind of leather satchel that he had mm-hmm. carried, wore around his body. And he'd let you sort of put your hand into it and lift up, you know, like a treasure chest of coins. And, you know, that image is stuck in my mind all my life. Um, so Barney was um, shot and seriously injured in his farmhouse. Um, two of his sons, Barry and Declan, were shot dead. His brother Joe was shot dead. By the all by the UVF, and this is such a remote farmhouse. Um, they had to have local knowledge. Had to have local knowledge, even to know it was there. Um, so I wrote this piece that was published in the Irish Times called "Dirty Linen" about my own experience. I'd mentioned in passing the, the you know the violent uh, fate of the O'Dowds and the fact that they had moved south after the shootings because they were terrified. Um, and there's a bit of a callback, you know, I said I'd never seen him again, a bit of a callback to my grandfather and his sister after the earlier troubles. When that was published in the Irish Times, Noel died. one of the sons, got in touch with me and invited, said Barney was still alive, he was 98, would I like to meet him? And of course I was delighted to meet him and it was a very touching kind of reunion after 45 years. Um, and they told me this story and it really sort of, it devastated me really because they told me that after Kathleen, the mother died, um, they decided they want, wanted the, their son, her sons to be buried alongside her in the south, in County Meath. She'd moved to, to County Meath. They had, they'd all moved stay. away. The yeah. whole family had moved south after the shootings. But the, the most poignant thing for me was the fact that they decided themselves to exhume their brothers' bodies. And to me, like, that was like something from a Greek tragedy to kind of go back to your, you know, your origins or whatever and then sort of personally sort of, you know, exhume your, your brothers, your loved ones, and then rebury them. Like, that's an act of love, absolutely. But it's also, t- you know, I find it somewhat hard to understand. It, I, I, it felt like trauma, the long tail of Trouble's trauma. Mm. And so at the end of that piece, I, I did a timeline of all the other murders in the parish. And then I thought, you know, what if you told all those other stories and, like, how powerful might that be as a way of kind of getting under the skin? Like, I think... Maybe with time we become desensitised or calloused, not callous as an uncaring, but calloused as an hardened skin on, on your fingers if you're working, you know, with soil or whatever. So I kind of thought, you know, by kind of going to the grassroots, you know, you may be kind of telling ordinary people's stories. You may be kind of, it's not, it's not the troubles through the words of par- politicians or paramilitaries. It's through the eyes of the victims yeah. and their relatives. And, and I think it, it brings it alive in a different way. And it's uh, extraordinary how it, it still lives with you. I mean, you remark um, when an old lady died in the parish and you were eight years old. Yeah. And your question is? Well, that, that was something that I'd forgotten. And I was t- obviously talking to my mum and dad about growing up. And my mum says, do you remember when Sissy Anderson died? And Sissy Anderson was the, the type of old lady, if the ball went into her garden, you didn't get it back. So, you know. But when she told me that Sissy Anderson had died, my immediate reaction was, who shot her? And, you know, you know how kind of troubled uh, an upbringing must you have had to kind of think that an elderly woman dies and the most likely cause of death is assassination. So that shows the mindset of an eight-year-old and in a sense that legacy has never left you, has it? 
you know, it's something that's, you know, like I became like, you know, I left the north. Um, I went to university in St. Andrews in Scotland, moved to London where I became a journalist. But like, absolutely, like, you know, there's a, there used to be a site called Newshound. I don't know if you remember it. Mm-hmm. It was done by an Irish-American guy called John Fay. And it kind of, in the early days of the internet, it hyperlinked to lots of news stories covering the Troubles or the North in Ireland, in Britain, in America and so forth. I, you know, religiously clicked on every link every day to kind of, you know, it was like an obsession, whatever, like, because it absolutely coloured my childhood. Um but, you know, with the peace process, whatever, as a journal, I became a journalist in London. You know, I worked for the Irish Post, ended up as editor. I interviewed Jerry Adams, Mark McGuinness, David Trimble, met David Irvin. So, you know, it was it was something I was very involved in. Like when I'd been at St Andrews, like I'd, I'd kind of come down for a job interview um, and I'd it was the time when the Guildford Four were acquitted. And then I went to the GA in Rystep and picked up a poster of the Birmingham Six brought it back, put it on the on the the door of my college room on the inside. I didn't think it would survive too long on the outside. Then when I moved to London, I became a journalist. I was actually reported on the the acquittal of the Birmingham Six at the Old Bailey, which was, you know, an astonishing moment. And um, my photograph even ended up in the Daily Express the next day because I was caught in the crowd celebrating, which is a bit of fun with a typewriter, but it was a momentous occasion. Um, but then I interviewed um, Paddy Hill, one of the Birmingham Six, because he set up a charity for other miscarriage of justice victims. But also um, on the, I think it was the, what would it have been, the 25th anniversary of the, the Birmingham bombings, or maybe the 30th, I published on the front page um, a photograph by our Birmingham correspondent, the late Brendan Farrell, of two, um, of, a, of an Irish woman who had lost two sons on, in the Birmingham bombing you know, two second generation Irish boys who were out drinking in one yeah. of those pubs. And she reminded me so much, like she looked the spit of my my father's mother, my my grandmother. So, you know, I see it from all sides. And this is what the book tries to do, to kind of lay side by side Catholic victims, Protestant victims. There's a, an endorsement by Fergal Keane, the great war correspondent. This is the finest memoir of the conflict I've ever read. It's called Dirty Linen, The Troubles in My Home Place. It's published by Marion Press and its author, Martin Doyle. Martin, thank you very much for joining us on the programme. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.